Well, if you uh, have your Bibles, uh, as you'll see behind me, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. And so if you've been with us in our Advent series, we have been in the book of Ruth. And if you're unfamiliar, Advent, Advent simply means arrival. It's where the church stops and looks back at Christ's first arrival, so then with hope, we look to Christ's second arrival. And one of the major themes in Advent, in this season, and in the book of Ruth, is the theme of waiting. Of waiting. Now, we may not be from Moab, like Ruth, have recently been converted from pagan gods like her, and nor, for one second, ever thought of clinging to our mother-in-laws, because we might be running away from our mother-in-laws <laughs> during this season. But we all know what it's like to wait. Waiting is hard because waiting is where we go to find out that there is a God and we are not Him. And waiting is painful because our plans reach their expiration date as they go to die a slow death and we realize we are not in control. And we come to learn that we do not lead God through our life, but we follow God in this life. We do not sit in the pilot seat, we sit in the passenger seat. And one of the hardest lessons to rejoice in is God's will being done when my will is not being done. And a quote from Princess Bride captures, uh, that movie has some deep theology. Um, talk to Aaron, after, Aaron Acker afterwards for it. A quote from Princess Bride captures this well, and I love this. It says, life is pain, your highness. Anyone who tells you different is selling you something. The Bible is not selling you something, nor does the Bible deny the pain of waiting. It shows how realistic pain is in a world as broken as we live in. And it promises you that in a fallen world, there will be frustration. But Ruth reminds the church our waiting seasons are still supervised by a kind God who is worthy of our trust. And waiting is long and God works slowly in our waiting because if we're honest, we are slow learners. God often takes so long, not because he is slow, but because we're so full of things that take so long to be emptied of. And waiting is not because God is not good. Waiting is precisely because God wants you to learn how good He is often by how hard life is. And I know for myself, I'm a young man, but I have come to appreciate God as better than I could ask for in long struggles that I never asked for. And I have learned God's goodness not by being strong in my waiting, but how close I felt like Jesus came to me in my weakness while I was waiting. And God requires His saints to wait because in waiting, God becomes personal. And when we submit to God's plans, they have pain, but that is where we will learn how much our God loves us. Because God is far too big to be safe, but He is far too good not to be trusted. And we can trust His plans may be beyond us, but His heart is for us. And so in this confusing time, 
we can be reminded of a good hope that God is always in the business of holding people's hands who don't understand what he's doing. Because that's part of the whole God role. And for believers, Advent reminds us that waiting time will never be wasted time. Never. So how do we wait well in this season? That's what our passage is going to show us this morning. How do we wait well? Well, we work well. Naomi has something up her sleeve we're going to see as we dive in. A plan which is going to lead to a proposal that's going to result in a promise that will end in a provision. So let's dive in starting in verse 1. We see a plan. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you. And so I want to pause here and remind us that the beauty of this moment in this story is not that the first season of the Bethlehem Bachelor just started. It's that we will see a woman hoping again and engaging in life and caring for others. And this is a beautiful moment because we start to see Naomi's journey from emptiness to fullness. This is the first time in the book we see a positive movement of her in the story. She is no longer identifying as a victim because victims don't make plans. When you're a hopeless in your life, you simply don't have the emotional energy to plan for someone else's. So the question is, what made the difference? The narrator says in verse 1, then... But I would remind us that months have passed since chapter 2 ended. And the narrator does this to set us up to waste no time showing that the seasons have changed and so has Naomi. Hope has enlivened again in Naomi's once hopeless spirit. Because before she had just planned to be alone, but now she plans to provide for Ruth. And what did this is Naomi thought about how Ruth just so happened to come across Boaz in the field that day. And it sparked hope in her heart that maybe, just maybe, the God she has abandoned has not abandoned her. And she will learn that even though she walked away from God, God will not stop working for her. And so verse 2 says, Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Naomi is sending Ruth out to Boaz because he is a relative that Ruth can marry and come under the protection of. She washes, which is not a custom, and this is a part of the sermon the young adults resonate with most. She tells her not to just put on her, her cloak. The significance of this moment is her, the significance of changing her clothes is not just what she put on, but what she would have had to take off. She would have been wearing morning attire. Picture a black dress. 
showing she was a widow and not available for marriage. She, by changing clothes and putting on a cloak, is announcing to Boaz she is no longer mourning. She is available for marriage. This is why Naomi instructs her not to just put on new clothes, but to take off the old clothes. And notice that she is being purposeful and not passive. And this goes to teach us that God works not just for us, but in us. Laziness and passivity are dangerous, just like sin, to see in God's plan for our life. And while we wait on God, we are not called to sit back in hopelessness. We are called to righteously risk and engage in life for God, not just bulldozed by life while we blame God. And so now dressed, she's ready for what's next, which is a proposal in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Ruth follows the plan and goes to Boaz when he is by himself at night. Now, this may sound very forward to us today, but the reason is her offer for marriage, if done in front of others, might have put Boaz in a compromised spot and made it to where it even forced or manipulated his hand without him really wanting to marry her. That's why she goes privately to engage with him. She approaches in the dark, not for dark reasons, but for a good reason of discreetness. To show us she comes this way so that if Boaz does marry her, he was not forced to, he wanted to. And verse 7 tells us, Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth uncovers his feet because the threshing floor, where they would have been at, would have been built to where it was very windy. This was that so that wheat and chaff could be separated by the wind. And uncovering his legs... He would simply become cold and wake up, which she waits patiently until he does. And with that being said, the narrator stresses the presence of possible sexual temptation. Goes as far as to show Ruth and Boaz at night, Ruth dressed for marriage, using eight uses of the word lie down. It's at night, there is a bed, and Boaz is alone. So why does this take place in this? I believe that it's in the midst of such great temptation, such great character can be proven. We see Ruth and Boaz's character vindicated. The sexual undertone is not to imply sexual objectives, but to show in the midst of sexual temptation what great purity these two people had. 
This potential sexual setting is to not stress what they did, is to show what they didn't do. That temptations are high, but praise God, so is their level of obedience. This is important to show because Ruth is set in verse 1 of chapter 1 in the time when the judges ruled. Which if you know anything about the book of Judges, uh, it ends in a hopelessness. In the age when everyone did what was right in their eyes, the morning dawned and Ruth and Boaz, Ruth and Boaz had done what was right in God's eyes. And in a time of law-breaking, Boaz and Ruth are the picture of law-keeping. The narrator does all of this not to show what happened, but what could have happened if these were less righteous and God-honoring people. I think this teaches us something, that in our waiting, we are tempted to reach for things that will satisfy us momentarily, but will disappoint us permanently. But there has never been a human being that God let down. You'll never hear someone say, I trusted God and I regret it. You will hear, I didn't trust God and I really regret it. And that's what part of this passage teaches us, is that while we engage and we wait on God, we are called to live in obedience, trusting in Him, that when the morning came, this picture shows us that there was two people of great character. Knowing obedience to God as king would be better than living as their own kings. And in a world that looks like the book of Judges, where people do what was right in their own eyes, church, this should remind us that we should live like a book of Ruth people, doing what is right in God's eyes. And so Boaz responds to this proposal with a promise. Verse 10. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So here Boaz commends her for something. Is it not going after younger men and dating someone more attractive? No. That would not make any sense in a scene like this for Boaz to say, wait, you don't want a younger guy? It doesn't make any sense. What he's pointing out here is not his age difference to Ruth. He's pointing out the fact that he is related to Naomi. See, those younger guys Ruth could have gone after wouldn't have been related to Naomi. So Ruth could get married and receive protection while Naomi was hung out to dry and die alone. Ruth did not reject younger men just out of kindness to Boaz. She rejected the younger men out of loving kindness to Naomi. She said, if I am to get married, I want you to benefit from it too. I want you to receive the protection. Ruth is seeking redemption in this scene, not just for herself, but for Naomi as well. What you find in the book of Ruth is that the love story is not just about Boaz and Ruth, although that's a massive part of it. The love story is also about Ruth's love for Naomi. 
The book may not be named after Naomi, but she is such a big part of this book. And so the first kindness that Boaz points out here is Ruth's covenantal faithfulness by staying in relationship with Naomi, saying, I am not going to leave you. The second kindness that he points out is her covenantal kindness to Naomi by securing redemption for Naomi as well as herself. So that if Ruth gets married, Naomi does too, which shows us the great love and character of this woman, Ruth. That even in something like marriage, she is not even thinking about herself. She's thinking on how this could bless Naomi. Verse 11 tells us, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz gives the most hope-filled promise yet in the book. Redemption is right around the corner. The question is not if, the question is who. Who will do it? Will it be Boaz or will it be this other redeemer? Which is what chapter 4 will answer. And so this chapter shows us what a beautiful turn of events has happened for our dynamic duo. Hope is bursting forth and she's received a promise that she can rest. So this leads her to await to a provision. Verse 14 says, So she lay down at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it be known that the women came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And so Ruth and Naomi empty, Ruth left Naomi empty and came back full from her Redeemer. She's blessed and in abundance. Uh, the provision here would have been about 100 pounds of grain. So it's, so it's in abundance. This provision shows the character of Boaz. It is his promising that he is making a down payment that he will personally see to their redemption coming through. He's providing a promise that he will not rest until he sees Ruth and Naomi redeemed. In the English here, when this verse is translated, doesn't fare too well. When it reads, how did you fare? The Hebrew reads, whose are you, my daughter? So when Ruth comes back, she's met by Naomi, and Naomi asks her, whose are you, my daughter? Meaning, are you your own? Or have you come under the covering of another? Verse 18 tells us, She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And the chapter ends. 
Because of the kindness of a Redeemer, these two weary people can finally rest. Because a Redeemer has promised to settle their redemption, they rest in that Redeemer's promise. Ruth was desolate and empty without hope until a Redeemer came into her life and brought her hope. The book of Ruth shows us this, that rest and redemption can be found not in an idea nor a place, but in a person. Redemption can be found not in an idea, not in a place, but in a person. See, we've been looking at the book of Ruth not to see Ruth nor Boaz, but to see through Boaz to a better Boaz. A redeemer that didn't just provide a few people in a backwater town redemption, but stared down the entire guilty world. And instead of condemning, in love, he picked up a megaphone so that all could hear him, especially the failures, the broken, and the tired, and shouted, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. At Christmas, unto, a child, unto us a child is born, and this shows us that a Redeemer has come. A redeemer that was not obligated to redeem in the slightest. Out of love for those that walked away from him, Jesus, our redeemer, ran and took what you needed, his redemption and his rest, and instead of offering to you wrath, he offers to you rest. And just like in this passage, our kinsman redeemer could not be any closer because he took on our very flesh to redeem us. Jesus could not have been made any closer to us. And there is no redeemer that can be closer. A redeemer who took it upon himself. Not obligated to redeem people who had left behind the land and promises of God. And while Ruth and Naomi as well as the church. Us who were once alienated from the promises and had left God behind. Jesus' arrival in Advent reminds us God is a God who runs to the same people who walked away from Him. And we can rest that just like Ruth, our redemption and rest is not something we whip up in this life, but comes from someone that we receive it from. Jesus, our Redeemer, like Boaz, is by no means forced to redeem us, but He wants to. Mark 10.45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give His life as a ransom for many. Seeing our hopeless estate, our Redeemer came near in His incarnation, took on flesh, not so that you could serve Him, but that while you would never serve Him, He came and served you. Just like Naomi, we have made decisions that we regret that have taken us away from God, not trusting Him, and have separated us, and we have sinned and disobeyed. None of us are who we should be while we have been on this earth. That is why Advent reminds us we must look to the Redeemer who came to this earth. 
The reason why you need redemption is that all of us stand guilty in sin. And the reason why you have redemption is that you have a kind Redeemer that did not leave you, but ran to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, For our sake, Jesus, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And this shows us that Jesus came and took your reason for redemption, your sin, on Himself. That we don't earn our place back with God, we ask Jesus to restore our place back with God. And this reminds us that we find redemption in rest, not in us, but simply coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus. Christianity isn't believing in yourself. It's believing in Christ who is so much better than yourself. Jesus doesn't come for the self-sufficient winners, nor the faithful, as if there were any. He comes for the failures. We are not offered a redemption in Jesus that we have earned. When we come to Jesus, just like Ruth did to Boaz, when we come to Jesus, we are offered a redemption He has earned. Ruth 3 ends with this, For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth and Naomi can rest, can find their rest, because Boaz promises he won't rest until it is finished. John 14, 1 through 3 tells us, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Our Redeemer declared it is finished when He earned our redemption on the cross. And He promised He will come again for all those that wait on their Redeemer. And we can rest today, church. We can rest that our redemption is as secure as that tomb is empty. We rest in the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? We rest that while we were more than conquerors through Him who loves us, sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of our Redeemer Jesus Christ our Lord. We rest that God's promises hold us tightly no matter than on the days we don't hold them very tightly. We rest that our Redeemer doesn't start anything He doesn't finish. And when we rest that when Jesus says it is finished, He meant it. So you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The days ahead might be long, and the seasons seem to drag on, and your joy escape us. But know this, the Jesus who came, your Redeemer who came at the first advent, at that arrival, Jesus came and kicked death's teeth in. His second arrival will bring heaven to people that should have only ever known hell. And He did this because He is a very kind Redeemer. At His second advent, hallelujah, what a day. It will be for at once my joy with you is complete. As I run into your arms open wide, 
I will see my Father who is waiting for me. And the hope in this season reminds us that Christ will come for those that have come to Him. That for all those that have come to Jesus and cast their burdens on Him, that He will come back for those that have come to Him. And so in the midtime, in the meantime, three things we can do. We can sit and meditate on His first arrival in the love that came for us. That God so loved the world, He sent His Son so that we would not perish. We can sit and meditate on the goodness of God to come and offer us a redemption we had never earned. But in His kindness, He gave it anyways. So we can sit. We can soak in His good news that there is a God that has changed your eternity. From restlessness to rest. We can soak in the fact that Jesus is kind and has brought to every single one of us what we never had coming. What none of us had earned. And lastly, we share. We share with the world. We share with the world the good news that there is a God pleased in you because of what that very God has done for you. And that is what we rest in today. That when you wake up tomorrow, when seasons, long seasons, continue, when waiting continues, when life has not went the way that you thought it is, you wake up tomorrow and hope in the fact that what your Redeemer has promised, He will fulfill. And that God is pleased in you, not because of you, but because of what that same God has done for you. And that is where our hope is in. Let's pray.